That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! You're very welcome to the first ever Irish Man Abroad book episode. Once a month, I'm going to recommend two books from two Irish authors. Maybe they won't be Irish every single time, but there'll be recommendations to you from me, the Irish Man Abroad. And I'm delighted to have two very different books for you to uh, get stuck into this month. The second book is Aaron Rogan's Punters, How Paddy Power Bet Millions and Changed Gambling Forever. We'll hear from him later on in the show. If you're listening on Patreon, you'll get the full conversations with both authors. And if you're listening on one of the free services, why not head over to Patreon and you get the full extended cut of what we're about to talk about. And trust me, you're going to love these chats. Aaron goes right deep into the bowels of Paddy Power's uh, business and how that came to be. And his uh, key interview with Stuart Kenny, a man I spoke to Paddy Power himself about last week on the show. That's all coming in the second half. But the first half of the show, my first recommendation, you may have heard me mention the book to Sonia O'Sullivan and to Marion McKeown, is The Stream of Everything by John Connell. He is, of course, the author of the brilliant cow book and the running book, published by Gill Books in Ireland. Uh, John Connell joins me on the show right now. John, great to have you back. Thanks, Charlotte. It's uh, it's a real pleasure to be back. I enjoyed our last chat and uh, I'm looking forward to this one. Well, this is obviously the final book in the trilogy for you, this kind of memoir trilogy that you've put together. And it I get that it wasn't the first book that you were intending to write, that the pandemic produced this book. Tell us, first of all, about the book in South America that sounds way more serious and much tougher to write. But that was that was the original plan. Yeah. So at the start of 2020, um, I had been researching for a number of months in 2019 uh, migrant farm workers uh, for a global project around the world. And in January and February of 2020, I had been traveling through the southern states of America, so Florida, Arizona, uh, Texas, and California, talking to farm workers, uh, mostly Mexican and Central American. And um, it was a really tough uh, project, and I saw a lot of poverty and a lot of sadness. And um, I had been in Los Angeles uh couple of weeks before the pandemic hit, I'd been on the road, so I didn't really know anything about COVID. And uh, I was coming home to work on a TV show with a writer friend. And then I was going to travel to Brazil uh, to look at the beef farms in Brazil. Uh, 
And of course, what happened was the COVID hit and uh, I couldn't travel anywhere. And um, the idea of the stream of everything came to me. Um, I suppose it starts 10 years before I had been on Sydney Harbour kayaking with a friend. And uh, I used to kayak on the harbour quite a bit. And uh, I remember nearly getting killed by a boat in the kayak. And uh, I made a little promise to myself that one day I'd journey down the local river at home, uh, the Camelon, something that was um, safe <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, not so dangerous as, as, as kayaking on, a, on the deepest harbour in the world. And, what the um, hell happened with the boat? Did the boat literally try and run Well, you there's over? a number of ferries that go across uh, Sydney Harbour from Manly to... Um, to uh, to the main port uh, in the city at Darling at Darling Harbour and and um, and other places and um, I was in the path of a boat and I was trying my best to get out of the way but the boat was moving rather quickly and uh, you know I managed to get out of the way uh, in a f- <laughs> in in slow fashion but uh, um, it was pretty scary and of course the harbour has sharks in it uh, boat mm. sharks so. Uh, you know, I probably shouldn't have been there to begin with, but um, it but was. You, uh, you had a moment in the water where you said, "If I survive this, God, I promise you, I will row down the Camlin." Yes, pretty much. And you know, uh, like most promises to God, I. Why? Why I, would God want that? I don't know, but uh, he moves in mysterious ways. So <laughs> that was the deal. That was, that the, was deal the deal you offered him. But you know, yeah. I, I, I. Um, I forgot about it, and uh, then when COVID hit, uh, come May, I'd been working on the, the migrant book, and I realised I couldn't go any further. And um, the idea sort of came down, and talked to a few. I talked to a few people about it, and then I talked to my friend Peter Gagan, who's a journalist who's now based in London, but he was home for a while to work on a book. And, friend of the um, show had him on. Oh well, yes, you may remember. Yeah, yeah Peter's Peter's brilliant, brilliant so. author. Brilliant author, brilliant journalist, and um, I suggested to Peter that you know maybe we'd do this, and Peter said, you know, it's something I've never done, uh, so why not? Those were his words. It's something I've never done, and um, you know, Jarlett, I'm someone who's travelled all around the world, and yet uh, this adventure was right on my doorstep, and uh, it's probably one of the greatest trips I've ever had. Well, you capture it so unbelievably well. And I should start by saying this, even though I've said it at the set my stall out at the start of the show, I'm only going to have books on this new podcast that I thoroughly recommend. The stream of everything is an emotionally extraordinary read. I was drawn in and felt like I was in the boat with you. I had tears in my eyes a lot of the time <laughs> reading it uh, because you you create what you've just said there, this connection with the reader to the beauty that's before us that we take for granted so often. That was one of the motivations, right, in doing this was appreciation for this land that has ground to a halt except for these veins that run through it. But there's obviously a catharsis to the journey too. Yeah, yeah. It was a sort of a Camino, a pilgrimage to, um, you know, 
I've I've enjoyed a really good life since the cow book came out. But before that, um, there was darkness and uh, there was um, privation and suffering and mental health issues. And, you know, I realized um, that I'd been thinking about stuff for probably 10 years, uh, 10 years of, you know, a failed marriage, uh, a, a broken friendship, a collapsed business and, and depression. And I had this image of um, going on the boat. And when we got to Tlondra, where we finish, where, where, the, where the Camlin meets the Shannon, I had this image of me leaving my problems there and them flowing down the Shannon and out into the Atlantic and, and, and ending the haunting that I had endured. And um, sometimes we, I believe, we need to make grand gestures in life. And um, a friend recently quit smoking and I said, what grand gesture did you do? And he said, I smashed every ashtray in the house. And my grand gesture was to, to go down this river and to let go. Um, it's so hard in life to let go of, of negative things and they do haunt us. And um, John O'Donoghue, the Celtic writer, used to call it the, the harvest of memory. But so often in the harvest of memory, we don't remember the good things, we only remember the bad things. And mm. um, I wanted to let them go because they no longer served me. Um, they were holding me back from being in the present moment. And, um, you know, there were times where I would have felt good and then other times where I, where they, where they were present again and um and you know it took this this voyage to do it but i actually did let those things go and um it was catharsis of, of a of a kind where beauty replaced it um and you know so much of the book is about beauty and um but so often in life we don't afford ourselves the ability to let the beauty in we only think of the negative things and the unlived lives and unlived choices. But if we allow beauty to come in, that surpasses woundedness and it it allows us to live wholly and allows us to live freely in a sense. Time has stopped and time is never ending. The world has grown quiet, but the soul of land, the soul of water, echoes still for all who can hear it. This is the bee-loud time, the fox-crying time, the trout-echoing time. Everything has stopped but the flow of the rivers and the lap of the seas. The roads, the gravel of humanity, has been beaten low, and we are all of us living through a time that will be remembered forever. We have stopped to be safe, but nature hasn't. Nature moves on ceaselessly to our motions and motives. It's strange to be here, but there is magic in this time, in this great stoppage. We can, I can, for the first time, see the Eden in everything. When I was a boy, I built rafts with my family and neighbours to sail the river near our home. We made voyages of fun and gaiety in those days. But now, in the heart of the stoppage, I am looking to make a voyage of the heart. It has been an idea, an ashling, for years now, but so busy was I in the world that I had not made time to stop, to cross the threshold.
Well, what a beautiful place to leave it. Uh, John Connell, thank you so much for coming on to talk about it. The book, as I said, is called The Stream of Everything. It's out on Guild Books. I'll be back after the break with Aaron Rogan to talk about punters, how Paddy Power bet millions and changed gambling forever. But John Connell, thank you so much. Thank you, Charlotte. Punters, How Paddy Power Bet Millions and Changed Gambling Forever is Aaron Rogan's book. Aaron, I'm delighted to have you on the podcast. Uh, it is such a great book, an eye-opening book. And I guess when I talked to Paddy Power last week, I didn't expect him to spill the beans on the stuff that you went into. I mean, he is the face of the brand. But you had to scratch the surface to get to what you got in this book. It is a, a tell-all in many ways, but at the centre of that has to be one, I guess, your deep throat, your person who's going to explain the inner workings. Was that person Stuart Kenny from day one or had you it in your head, I'll never get a, a sit down with him? No, it wasn't Stuart Kenny from day one. Uh, there'd been There'd been a number of people uh, who'd left Paddy Power or were leaving Paddy Power um, after a merger with Betfair, sort of changed it into a very, very corporate environment from what was quite a a, a cultish company. You know, mm. sort of it was it was like the you know people who work for Google consider themselves Googlers and they think they're better than Facebookers and all this stuff. It, it did have that aura about it. Yeah. Um, but when when they did the merger with Betfair, there was a change of executives there was a change in how the company was run it was a much bigger beast at that stage because the share price and the value of the company went up so a lot of people sort of uh, fell out of love a little bit with the company but but more fell out of love with with what the online gambling industry became Uh, and they started Uh, to tell me things about how it really operated uh the the, the 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 real operations behind the the sort of the punter's pal persona that the company put out um, yeah and and what made it extraordinary to get Stuart Kenny is that you know as you say he was the one at the very beginning i mean we he comes up in my conversation with Paddy Power last week he was the dynamo the engine behind it he had seen these kind of tactics this advertising the cheeky chappy uh, uh, let's th- make things more interesting. Uh, sure, we'll bet on two flies going up a wall. Isn't it a bit of fun? Make what is already a good time a better time by sticking a few quid on it. He leave battle with his conscience. Yeah. So in, in twenty sixteen, he he resigned. He he had been he was a co founder, is a co founder of, of Paddy Power. Went on to become chief executive, then became uh, chairman of the board. After that, but but even when he was sort of a non-executive director, he was he was very involved in the mm. marketing of the company, and he liked to to stay abreast of what Paddy Power himself was doing, and 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 Ken Robertson, and and that sort of the mischief department, as they called it. So he was still, you know, he was seeing what the company was up to, but but he became uh, like a number of people in the company became sort of frustrated at the lack of action or what they saw as a lack of action being taken to prevent people from falling into addiction or from people who who, who were suffering from addiction from being exploited uh, because they weren't being properly monitored for their 
activity. And part of his reason for walking away was Paddy Power is very, is very much a, a machine of marketing or was very much a machine of marketing. And that's how it, it grew to its place. Uh, it's sort of its outside place in the gambling industry. And in Australia, where they had sports bet, they had, there was kind of stricter regulations coming down the track for, for gambling companies. And they got out ahead of it, sports bet, by incur- building a piece of technology to allow people to take a break. So it was called Take a Break. Mm-hmm. And there was an advertising campaign that was run by, in the typical Paddy Power sort of style, two blokes in a pub, a blokey uh, voiceover telling them when you've, you know, when you're, I think it's when you're having a bit too much of a gamble take a break and it's a guy who's distracted in the pub while his mates are all having a good time betting on his phone he takes a break and it had actually been quite successful they had thousands of people using it because they kind of they realized they were gambling too much or they didn't like how much they were gambling or the amount of time they were spending on their phone and that ad was pulled then and when they were downsizing their marketing budgets after the merger and Stuart Kenny left uh, basically because he felt that a good initiative was was not being pursued anymore mm. and it, he's not the only person who was who was in the company before the advent of the internet who's who's come out and spoken out against uh, some of the methods of the gambling industry Fintan Drury who was the first chairman of the company um he's he started a group with Stuart and an investor an early investor of Paddy Power called Stop Gambling Harm um, they want to put pressure on shareholders to make it make it more of an issue at, at AGMs and things like that. Mm. Uh, yeah, so you, so you went, you've listened to my interview with Paddy and the analogy that I put to him was the smoking industry, which is one that's made many times that there was a time when smoking was considered cool and a way of enhancing your evening. And now it is, you know, what would you be doing that? You know exactly what it's doing to your system. Do you go with that analogy? Because there's another one that comes up in the book that Stuart Kenny brings up, and that's the fire brigade, that the attitude of the of Paddy Power and gambling companies is to treat the fires and not the building materials you're using, which is making this flammable house. Yeah, I mean, it, it was Stuart Kenny who said to me that unless they change, they'll get a, a stench like uh, the tobacco industry. Um and I think when people talk about the tobacco industry and smoking in relation to gambling, well, maybe some people, because there's some very, very vocal anti-gambling uh, activists, but, mm. but most people would mean that, not that gambling is is any way comparable to smoking, because I think as, as Paddy pointed out in the podcast, you know, everyone who smokes uh, gets some sort of bad health from it you know it's not good for anyone whereas gambling can enhance a lot of people's sporting uh sport watching or or, or just enjoyment e- yeah. enjoyment it's just a piece of entertainment but it's that smoking tried to self-regulate it, it hid the the real effects or the tobacco industry rather tried to to hide the real effects of, of what smoking did to people by putting out sort of bogus research and things like that and downplaying uh, doctors concerns and as a result, it became really strictly and tightly regulated and massive, you know, price increases driven by the government to to pay for the, the the social cost of smoking. And I think that's what people talk about when they talk about gambling and smoking. Um, mm-hmm. And in relation to the, the fire brigade that the industry has gone around putting out fires that uh, perhaps are caused by the flammable materials it actually makes itself, 
is is in line with what a lot of people say that what they need to do is make some of the products less addictive and to interrupt the sort of the interrupt the patterns that make their products compulsive in, in online gambling and in online casinos in particular it's it's very they're very pleasant places to to spend time because it's bright lights it's flashing the psychological tricks and you know it's it's it feels rewarding the way it's presented you know that mm. you know i think really at the heart of it all is that if if you're an industry that has a product that you're trying to make as attractive as possible and as a result of that it becomes addictive for a certain cohort of people there has to be a greater responsibility put on that industry to to pay for the cost of that addiction but but really to prevent it um and to do as much as it can, can to prevent it and paddy para talked about technology uh, stopping uh or technology and being able to predict people they've tried yeah. that before it hasn't really worked um so that would again be self-regulation it would be allowing companies who we know how cause social harms um, as they say themselves um to to police themselves when you know it's been proven in a lot of industries that what needs to happen is is governments to intervene and, and have strong regulation of them to to make them accountable um yeah, for, and, and, for the social problems and, uh, i did want to ask you um just because the book is incredible, I really do recommend people get it. Not only because it just tracks the course, like the true course of this phenomenal Irish business success, but it also paints pictures of each character in it. It, you know, from uh, Paul Barry, the first internet guy in there, <laughs> to uh, Rob Reck. Was that his name? Ro yeah. Ro Rob Reck, the first quantitative trading analyst who. It just seems like an extraordinary individual, the first one to recognize that Paddy Power had all of this data that its customers didn't have that it could use to its benefit. Tell us a little bit about Rob Reck. So uh, Rob is, is seen as one of the, the main geniuses in, in driving Paddy Power's online success, um, but he was very much part of a team um, there with that I do speak about some of the other team members there as well mm. but he recognized sort of at the same time as the the internet was giving them access to all this data and information on customers that he'd come he'd come from from trading uh from yeah. real trading uh and he said the thing is that you know a small guy could never beat the big uh investment banks because the investment banks they were just quicker to get information and they got more of it. So they were always ahead of you. So they had already got the best price on everything. Hmm. But when he went into Paddy Power, he recognized that it was actually the opposite here, where your customers could never get as much information as you had. They could never tell that everyone else was betting on, you know, the, the, the same bet that you were betting and that you could balance the books to, to do that. Because really, Paddy Power isn't dealing with individual customers. It's dealing with a market. It's a marketplace, yeah. each, each gambling market. So if they can make sure that the market's in their favor, well, then, you know, that's it's the old school sort of pricing in an extra percentage into your book to make sure that, you, you know, if someone backs every horse, they can't win. But the wealth of data and information they had on customers and the speed at which they could process it really did just allow them to offer all these new markets such as in-play betting which could never be good odds they could never be you know priced up uh in a way that a, that a punter could could get ahead in the bookie so it was 
effectively sort of, you know, turning sports events into roulette wheels where it was always weighted towards the house. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's it's extraordinary. And as I say, you kind of can't get a full picture of uh, how well this book is written from talking to Aaron here. But you can get an idea that what we're going to watch is the metamorphosis from, as we say, those bookie offices in Ireland, which we if you were around in Ireland in the 80s, you'll remember how drab they used to be. And that was uh, like a law that you couldn't you couldn't really have it looking flashy. You couldn't make it look like somewhere where you wanted to loiter it crossed my mind that that might be one of the solutions here in the same way as uh, tobacco advertisers can't can't you know uh, glitz and glamour up their package uh, do you ever see that uh, or do you foresee that as a thing that could arrive in the future i generally one of the first actions of governments is to ban the advertising restrict the advertising of something uh, that is causing a social harm and there, there will be quite widespread <coughs> excuse me gambling regulation brought in in ireland in the next year or two and part of its focus is on on advertising but i mean i i think that's again the idea that you wouldn't be able to have a uh, paddy power on the front of a uh, of a football team's shirt well, doesn't really matter because they can market through social media like any other company as well mm. um and you know it's it won't be done in shop fronts at all it'll be done in in uh, apps in your pocket aaron i'd love you to tell people about uh, tony parente uh, because uh, you know of the things that emerged and the the headlines that your book grabbed i think that this is the most startling aspect of it i'm sure you'd agree that this is the thing that you get asked about the most. I don't know if that intake of breath is is because you get asked about it so much, but it, it is a, it's a shocking story. Uh, and I'd imagine that if Paddy was sitting with us here now, he would say, yeah, but that's five years. That's 2016. Things are different today. But it is worth telling the story and letting people know that this is what took place. So to start with, maybe you can explain to people what the high stakes unit is in Paddy Power. So the, the high stakes unit is sort of exactly what it sounds like. It's the unit within within Paddy Power that deals with customers who stake very high amounts. Uh, within it is the, the VIP section. Mm. And I say this in the book, but you don't ever want to be considered a VIP by a gambling company because <laughs> what's very important to them is very different to what's important to you. Yeah. So th this is this was such a well-oiled machine, uh, the high stakes unit by by 2016, uh, probably well-oiled machine long before that. But but this case sort of highlighted it that Tony Parente was uh, a VIP with with Lad Brooks um, and was worth so much to Lad Brooks that they had effectively. Uh, uh, an outside agent dealing with them and this outside agent brought him to Paddy Power uh, and Tony Parente was going to be worth so much to Paddy Power that they agreed to split the profits with this outside agent Wow! Uh, that, so he was going to lose so much that they would share some of those losses with this now, agent is that norm, was that normal practice at the time that you'd have a guy like this Tony Carroll kind of shopping clients it, it it, within high stakes, yes, it, it would have been something that happened. Not regularly, because there's not so many of these customers, but 
it wasn't unknown that they they tap up customers and try and get you know high staking customers to to switch or to open accounts with them. Hmm. Um, so they were going to pay him a twenty thousand pound signing on fee for just having an account at Paddy Powers. Yeah, and it it worked. He lost quite a lot of money, um, and it was recognised initially in the reports that the the high stakes unit get every day that show the the turnover on on different accounts that this guy was was staking so much that someone referred to him as a madman but it wasn't a madman a wild man yeah um it wasn't in the sense that this is wild and should be stopped it was there was sort of a glee to it of yeah we've got our guy here we've happy days and i mean i've spoken to to several people who've worked in paddy power and other bookies must be said who said that yeah there was this excitement of having a big customer because it would sort of balance your books or it would put you into profit it would get you your bonus mm. to have these guys around you know the company would do well to have tony parente particularly if it meant that ladbrooks didn't have him. how much money are we talking what was he losing like what was the what was the worst case scenario i believe there was one particular window of time where he blew nearly half a million what was that exactly yeah so he, he was betting on uh on, like i mean he was betting on everything, but uh, his total losses were about seventy-eight thousand uh, pounds, and that was on bets of of about two and a half million pounds. So this guy was, you know, really, really losing huge amounts of of money. Uh, he had, you know, hundreds of bets within a day on on online casino games. Uh, he was just pumping money into the site uh, mm. all the time. You know, it was this is sort of. <laughs> It was the, as close as you could get as a personification of gambling excess on both sides of, of both of an addict being completely out of control and of a company uh, sustaining and supporting it by ensuring that he, he stayed a customer, taking him to football matches, uh, giving him a signing on bonus, free bets and things like that. I mean, it ended up in court because he had uh, taken the money from his employer um, and his employer tried to get flutter to give it back but it, the court case didn't work out for a lot of a lot of technical reasons and, and and good legal reasons i mean that alone makes this book worth buying just to hear that story and how it plays out and the court case of how that high stakes unit said that there was no cause for concern despite the fact that there was that email saying this man's a wild man but yet that's not a cause for concern now as i said they would say Paddy's here right now. He'd go, come on, it's 2016. Shit was crazy back then. What's it like now? And, and yeah, they, and they did express, you know, that the current chief executive of the UK and Ireland did express sort of embarrassment at, at the way that that account was handled, the way that person was handled. But, I mean, it was only five years before that that you had the case of Tony Tan, uh, Tony O'Reilly, a post office, a postmaster in Ireland, who, who has a there's a great book he wrote with a, with a journalist, Declan Lynch, about losing more than uh, a million of, of stolen money from the post office. You know, the, these things that they say, oh, that was five years ago, they keep coming back. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, there's, uh, they, they know themselves that there's still problem gamblers within their customer base. Um, and I've no doubt that there'll be other customers losing similar amounts. Um, it's the nature of the business that you have these high-staking customers in there. And within those high-staking customers, there are addicts. Um, I think the, the, they have gotten a lot better since 
2016. Um, I know from speaking to people in there that they take responsible gambling even more seriously now than they did before. But the same people tell me, I don't know how you can have responsible gambling and have those online casino games with unlimited stakes or effectively unlimited stakes on them because it's it just, you know, you, they, they deal with customers. They get emails from customers who are quite clearly distressed at how much they're gambling. Um, I don't know how they can deal with that uh, as a company without sort of root and branch reform of their business model. And how have things been for you? <laughs> how have things Sorry, been for please. you since writing this book? I mean... I don't imagine that it was well received by people at Paddy Power. Were was there any kind of cease and desist letters or anything? Like you obviously had to get it fully checked by the legal team. Uh, what was the what's it been like since? No, there, there was no. There was a legal check, of course, by by Harper Collins, but there was no legal letters from Paddy Power or anything like that. Um, they, they did decline to. Uh, to comment or to answer questions about the book, uh, the you know I've heard that it's sitting. It was at one stage sitting on a shelf in in the head office by someone who put it there as a joke. Uh, the the issued a, a memo to staff on the day of publication, um, saying that if any customers did get in touch about the book, here's what you should say to them. You know, it was effectively saying what, what you were saying. They'd say a lot of this is historic. Um, a lot mm. of this is. You know, it, this is an old company. It's before we were the company we are now, um, and, th- and that's true. Like the the book is is showing how this company is built to where it is, and you know that that's the nature of the book. But a lot of the problems are the same problems. I mean, the book was published last October, and there's a guy in there from April 2020 who was uh, gambling in his early 20s and was losing so much that they offered to send him a bottle of champagne and. Uh, I think up to 5,000 euro for every one of his friends who who signed up and also became a VIP. So they were still running those schemes until very, very recently. And they're still encouraging people to bet more um, if they're high stakes, uh, if they're in the high stakes unit. Um, That's still all ongoing. So it's not that historic. And also not uh, exclusive to Paddy Power. Thank you so much for coming on Irishman Abroad to talk about it. It's called Punters, How Paddy Power Bet Millions and Changed Gambling Forever. You can get it everywhere you get books. I'd recommend you go to your local independent bookstore. I myself have an Audible subscription, so I uh, listened to it out on my runs. And I have to say, I covered an awful lot of Ks, uh, (laughs) not even knowing it. It whizzes by as a read, Aaron. Congratulations on the book. And if people want to read your stuff, Sunday Business Post is the place to find him. And of course, our good friend, Marion McKeown. Listen, thanks so much, Aaron. Hopefully our paths cross in person soon. Great. Thanks very much for having me on, Jonathan. So that's it for the condensed version of this week's episode of Irishman Abroad. The uh, book show will return next month. And if you'd like to hear the extended cut of this with more from John Connell and Aaron Rogan, just head over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. If you missed it, Marion was on on Friday talking about the future for gun laws in America. It's an unmissable episode. Go back and listen to that. And of course, Sonia on Wednesday announced a huge deal for Irishman 
man running abroad if you'd like to be coached directly by the greatest of all time and i can vouch for this it is an unbelievable experience to be coached directly by sonia sullivan get in touch with us we want to coach two of our listeners to uh, their first or their next half marathon i'll be doing mine on the coast up uh, up north on the 28th of august my first ever half marathon with the help of sonia and you can be part of the process she will coach you directly give you the plan uh, catch up with you every two weeks on the show itself it's an unbelievable opportunity have to say changed my life i'm sure it can do the same for you lastly our may deal is coming to an end so you can get 15 percent off your annual membership of irishman abroad by heading to patreon.com forward slash irishman abroad now and moving over there and getting access to everything that we make if you'd like to email us to avail of that opportunity with sonia to suggest a guest suggest a book ask marion a question it's easy irishman abroad podcast at gmail.com i will of course be doing my stand up up and down the uk over the rest of the summer but if you can't make it to the uk to see me why not head over to the youtube channel charlotte regan's youtube channel the irishman abroad youtube channel where you can find all uh, kinds of stuff all kinds of content stand-up sets that i've done from the past the stand extracts from my stand-up special notions 11 and uh, even episodes that you can't find anywhere else it's all on the youtube channel there uh, thanks to uh, the two lads aaron and john come on over to patreon this week it's never been cheaper to do it this week uh, head over there sign up and get access to the rest of this conversation uh, and the deep dive into both of these books mm-hmm.